And thank you so much for joining us today at Johns Hopkins University's SICE Rethinking Neuron Initiative. I'm Narya Swajokli, an assistant professor here at SICE. Um, and along with my colleague, Professor Vadi Nas, we'd like to welcome you to today's book forum. Our book forum events are one-hour conversations with authors of uh, recently released books on Iran. And we're so excited to host today's conversation because it brings together two of my great passions, which is scholarship and filmmaking. And it's even more of a treat because it's about one of Iran's all-time great film directors, Rakshan Bani Atamad. The book we're discussing today is called Refocus, the works of Rakshan Bani Atamad, which was published by University of Edinburgh Press and is edited by our guest today, uh, Mariam Florban Kadimi. Rafshan Baniya Timad is one of uh, the first female directors in Iran. The Refocus book is the first English language study of Baniya Timad's films and career with chapters by some of the most prominent scholars of Iranian cinema and uh, really in, in great fashion with a lot of younger scholars as well who have contributed to this volume who offer fresh points of view. Focusing on questions of aesthetics and politics, social realism, gender dynamics, and the after images and counter memories of revolution and war. The book also includes an in-depth interview with Bania Tamaj herself with the, um, with the editor of the volume, who is our guest, uh, Dr. Mayan Gorban Kadimi, who's a filmmaker herself, a film scholar, and a lecturer in film practice at Lancaster University in the United Kingdom. Dr. Horban Kadimi's current research is on transnational cinemas and cultures, specifically the representation of gender and sexuality in Iranian cinema. She's a fellow of the Higher Education Academy, and she's also developed a number of new practice-based modules in film at Lancaster University. And I'm just so thrilled to have her um, on here uh, to discuss uh, this book. I read it as an ebook, so I don't have it to hold up, but I um, I really enjoyed reading it and, and learning from the different perspectives that are brought into it. Um, so first of all, welcome, Mariam. Um, it's so nice to have you here. Um, and I want to start with um, the question of what does Bania Tamad mean to you? And why did, why is it that you that you focused and, and spent so much time and energy in bringing this book together. Who, you know, I want to get to who was Bania Tamad in Iranian cinema, but I want to start with who was Bania Tamad to you. Uh, first of all, well, I guess good afternoon to your audience on uh, in America and good early evening in the UK. Um, thank you so much, Nargis, uh, for uh, inviting me. I'm, I'm very honoured to be with you today to talk about um, actually one of my biggest passions. Um, someone who actually, her work probably was one of the reasons I wanted to do a PhD and uh, work on the work of women filmmakers and bring out the, uh, the contribution they've done. And her work has, has always been some um, one of the most kind of impacting on myself as someone who was growing up in a filmmaking family, uh, who was in a cursory actually knew both Puranda Rashande and Rashan Baniyatamod because they, they used to be classmates with my parents. And uh, seeing that how much they are influencing and changing the cinema since I was a kid. And I, I to just give you an anecdote of having had a chance to see her film, which you bear the name, Nargis, from 1991. I did see that film at the Fajrun Festival when I was about 10 years old. And even right then, I remember coming out and asking my parents lots of questions. I was like, I have not seen anything else like it. And at that time, there was not enough. Uh, I didn't have the right vocabulary to kind of analyze it further. And they were trying to teach me that how much she's actually bringing elements from pre-revolutionary Iranian cinema and is reintroducing them back into Iranian cinema of the time. Years later, when I uh, was planning to do a PhD, I knew that my elementary kind of preliminary research had led me to this, that 1990s saw the big change in representation of women in Iranian cinema. And I couldn't find anything before that film, Nargis, that really um, kind of set us on that kind of, um, um, kind of um, the move that brought a lot of great male directors in the 90s, um, um, like um, Bahram Bezai or um, um, 
oh my god this is the the brain fog that i was mentioning beforehand uh recovering from covid cannot remember uh Mehjui's name yes um that they started making female focused films and so this was something that i i kind of pursued as a phd during my PhD to kind of look at the, the first female directors and their contribution to Iranian cinema in the 90s. And, uh, and that has turned into a book and it had come out, but as you can see that even to this day, there's not enough kind of single focused works um, when it comes to film festivals, even while a lot of us like yourself and across the uh, world, we try to bring more emphasis on to the works of uh, great directors like Bani Etemad, a lot of times their work are being classified in certain kind of uh, areas, like women filmmakers just do kind of social uh, criticism and, um, but not being looked at fully from the aesthetics of it and overall contribution to cinema. And so I always had this that I need to do something. My, my PhD wasn't enough. There's not enough, a lot of other works coming about. I'm very grateful to one of the editors of Refocus, uh, my colleague, uh, Stephanie Van de Beer, who she, when she joined the Refocus series, she, she came back and said, I've heard you talk about this director. Why don't you put forward um, um, a proposal to do this. And I was just like, <sighs> there was a moment of hesitation. And, uh, but then it was a leap of fate to see, are there other scholars out there who feel the same? And it, it didn't take long to find other interested because when you go to, uh, there's Iranian cinema has grown so much. And I understand that there's not, while there's a lot of scholarship, there's still not a lot of recent scholarship on recent directors. Um, so a, a lot of conferences, um, a lot of younger um, scholars are focusing on the current works that are coming out. But I feel that thinking about history of cinema, there's still certain figures that need to be highlighted fully to give them um, the in, uh, basically the space they, they, they deserve. Um, while uh, I'm sure in all of our disciplines, we are we're thinking about decolonization, Iranian cinema studies is fairly young, but it still needs to be decolonized because early, um, early scholarship still focuses on some of the great uh, directors, but predominantly male directors coming out of Iran. And sometimes I feel that uh, great contributions like Bani Atemot has always been given a second kind of thought. Um, so that was a good chance to kind of bring her work up. And I, again, I had a um, personal connection with her. I had done interviews during my PhD as well. And once I just got back in touch with her, she was very generous. Although she basically told me, there's a lot of interviews with me. There's even this TV series online. Are you sure there's nothing new that I can contribute? And I, and I was just wanted to say that if I'm doing this book um, and we're trying to bring our readings of her work into it, I wanted to have her voice in it. So that was something that mattered to me. And if uh, those of you who get a chance to look at the book, you can see that the interview chapter is written in like first person. It's, uh, I, it's not about my questions, it's about the, the way she has told us her story and there are gaps in it as well, but there are, these are the most important elements that were important to her to talk about over the, the three long sessions of interviews we've had together. And um, so, yeah, that's how this project came together. Sorry about a long-winded reply. No, it's, it's a great yeah. reply. You know, I was actually, as I was reading uh, the, the interview you had with her, I was, um, I thought it would be like a traditional interview. And then I was looking for your questions and I didn't see that. And I thought, okay, let me, let me read this as Mariam wanted this, you know, like, let me read this as, as her talking to the reader. And it, I actually really love that you did that. Um, it, it wasn't something I expected, but once I um, realized what I thought you were trying to do, I thought it was, it was really effective. And she, you're right. Like there's obviously a lot of gaps in what she's saying, but the, the things that she highlights gives you such a depth of understanding of, 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 her understanding of her work, her understanding of her life and the experiences in her life. And I loved how 
she talks so much about, and I wanted to get you um, your your perspective on this, but also for you to sort of talk about it with folks who haven't had the chance to read this interview yet, her own upbringing um, and how when her father passed away, they really, at, at the age of nine, I believe, um, they lost socioeconomic class status. They, they went down in socioeconomic class status. And that meant that she grew up in parts of the city around folks who were working class and around folks who um, uh, had certain kinds of struggles, which then made so much sense to me in the types of films she ends up making later. And she continuously refers back to that in her own interview about especially the social documentaries, but also the narrative films that she makes. Um, so what, you know, uh, if you can also um, sort of bring up to date those of the folks who are watching or listening who haven't read that interview yet about what she brings into it and, 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 um, and especially of her own history and how that ends up impacting her filmmaking. Um, you're absolutely right. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad if actually came across that way that I really wanted her to have the voice <laughs> in, in the book. And um, she, she, she talked about the exactly that, that the drastic change in, in her life. And um, then unexpectedly, she come across sections of strata of society that she had not a chance beforehand and that this her getting involved uh, to transcribe these uh, kind of petitions for this person kind of make her understanding of the struggles people go through and um, and this is something that it feels like she's uh, trying to not be distant from the society so th so it is not wrong that many scholars over the years have called her as like a um, social realist or social filmmaker because she is making film for that society and she's very much so very close to her city she's very close to the place that she was brought up she's observed these changes and um, and this change it's in the the architecture of the society the city as well as the demographics of people that are are seen and bringing that the people from the peripheries to the center this is something that um i also in my own chapter tried to kind of link between because a lot of us when writing about bania Timor talk about the fact that she stems her work from documentary filmmaking. This is what she was interested in at the start. And, and then uh, she gained quite good success in her feature filmmaking and dramas. And some might, when come to look at her long kind of body of work, they can see that there's certain gaps between every single film that has come out. But um, a lot of times in between those, there, there's short documentaries or engagements and research that is taking place besides the regular um, issues any filmmaker faces in Iran based on um, the changes of censorship laws and regulations and political climate as well as financial restraints that do exist. But at the same time, this is something that it feels like from young person that she was and then um, the decision of doing what she wanted to study at university changes and she moves to go and learn more about filmmaking. She gets involved with television. Um, and, and at the time, this is something that I, I've briefly looked at in my first book as well, that Iranian um, film industry in post-revolution is very much so a bit at odds at, in its starting years in the 80s is that um, usually film industries are quite independent from television industries in most kind of developing countries, while in Iran due to the, the revolution and the purges and the change of structure in the film industry, it kind of made it that people who were working in television in pre-revolution years uh, in television kind of made their way into film industry and be became the backbone of the film industry of the 80s. And this kind of made her understand both sides of things. And um, while it, it is basically the TV commissions that gave her the first kind of uh, steps uh, or backing to, to make her documentaries, it is that, uh, that, uh, that she knew 
the people who were working in the industry at the time uh, that were also working feature film that made her bridge between the two. And this is something that I've asked her 15 years ago and I asked her again about this kind of bridge between television and film. And she says she, she doesn't really see it as two different industries in Iran, at least not in her generation. It is something that has become that way. Um, and there is that element that, yes, uh, television is a lot more strongly um, kind of governed by the ideology of the, the government. But at the same time, um, a lot of filmmakers that work within that system, at least especially the older ones, like her generation, they're almost like um, independent filmmakers working for television. And um, documentaries back at the time that she was always saying that they weren't getting that much airtime anyway. So you could be critical. They chose not to show it or show it at a certain time that people wouldn't see it and so on and so forth. It's quite an interesting kind of journey she's had um, and, and she, she reflects on it. And then she talks about her, um, the, one of the questions that I think everybody brings up or uh, people who would ne neglect her first three feature films. This is something she addresses there as well because while the first three feature films are the only three that she hasn't uh, written the scripts for them, are the ones that nevertheless, she has selected the scripts. So the scripts very much so um, attune with her ideology or where she would like her cinema go. Um, and I do invite everybody to read um, Farshad Zahedi's chapter on those three films um, to kind of see this because he does a brilliant job of looking at them from a fresh perspective, not just what uh, most of us do that, She's an auteur director, but those three films were not written by her, so we're not going to look at it. They're not female-centric, so we're not going to look at them. So there is that element of a lot of us dismissing those films, but those are quite fundamental. And she, she in the interview, she, she addressed them and talked about how um, they were quite, help, while they kind of delayed the production of film Nargis, so she had the script in hand for a few years, but at the same time established her as a director. And that was her kind of way to get into the industry. And so those are quite important films and uh, very much so their topics are attuned to her uh, works. And then she gets on talking about some of her films. I don't know, should I carry on or would you like to um, come in with comments? I, so yeah, I, I want to actually, before we get into um, the specificities of her films themselves, I I, want to take a step back because in your introduction you cite um bill nichols and his writings on um on uh iranian cinema when it was starting to sort of bloom on an international stage in the 1990s and how he but really also you mentioned and you point to and this is sort of ongoing today um how folks who write about iranian cinema critics who write about iranian cinema or those who review iranian cinema um uh, and, and see it in the festivals, not necessarily in tune with what's going on um, in, in, uh, in the cinemas themselves in Iran. Um, they don't know how to place or think about filmmakers like Rakhshan Bani Etimad or even Tam uh, Milani and, and others, other female filmmakers. Um, and, and you write about how um, actually when folks started to, uh, when, when Asghar Farhadi begins to win his Oscars and make his films, uh, folks outside are writing about how it, you know, it's incredible that he's doing these social commentaries and, and um, his films are about sort of these urban spaces that are different from the films of the, of the Kyoros, earlier Kyorostanis and things like that, that had come on to the stage before Majid Majidi. Um, but that in doing so, they're actually ignoring the work of Rashambani Atamad, who uh, was doing this kind of filmmaking um, from Zira Pustashad under the skin of the city onwards, um, if we take her narrative and, and documentary films into consideration. So, you know, you talked about the need to decolonize the study of Iranian cinema and to bring in and how we're ignoring so many incredible female filmmakers. But can you um, talk about how you see the the positionality of how those who are writing about Iranian cinema as this great sort of world cinema are also doing a similar thing that they critique 
the Iranian state of doing, which is ignoring uh, ignoring women. Um, and 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 Iran has so many incredible female filmmakers. Yeah, I um especially it's it's important to kind of put it in the context that Bill Nichols' paper is quite early. It's like nineteen ninety one or nineteen ninety two. Um, and it's it's one of the first kind of um, scholarly attentions to Iranian cinema because there was that retrospective of Iranian uh, cinema um, at the Toronto Film Festival. So film, if you think about TIFF was quite um, early in its way to bring a selection of post-revolution Iranian cinema um, to Canada. And, and of course it had a, a few films by notable directors that already international arenas knew about. Um, so someone like Bill Nichols come to it, it's quite fascinating because it almost feels that because the argument of his, uh, his article is to kind of come and say that how Iranian cinema has found its own new wave. It has found its own standing, which goes against the mainstream. Um, the kind of classical narrative structure of mainstream Hollywood, especially cinema, um, and how it has exceeded uh, or taken what other new waves uh, in Europe have done. So it, 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 what he's setting out to do is quite praising about Iranian cinema. It is, it is the definition that I think to this day, many scholars still clinging on. Um, and we are grateful of the directors, as you mentioned, like Abbas Kiyorostami, uh, Majid Majidi, that, um, or, uh, or earlier Shahid Salas, who are uh, responsible for that definition of the minimalist narratives, urban, um, rural settings um, for Iranian cinema. But those of us who do know Iranian cinema, in fact, melodrama um, settings in urban spaces, it's something that's quite set, it's quite a usual thing that 90% of films are set that way. But within that, what I find it's the, it's the space that female directors actually chose to navigate. And because I think a lot of them, they do have this mission, at least Spania Tamat did, I think Puran Darakshan and Tahmin Milani, I've spoken with all three of them, had this mission of changing, kind of building culture, changing the culture, and they cared how audiences respond to their films. So they wanted to bring their stories in the way it would be palatable to the general public. And that would be uh, through films that are more melodramatic, making sure that they do have stars acting in them and are in setting in um, environments that are used to. So that kind of makes it that something that I think they all navigate and try to challenge that kind of social norm that was created to kind of creating these um, one dimensional characters that were being portrayed in post-revolutionary cinema. That that's why all of a sudden when Nargis comes or later on when uh, Tahmini Milani's um, two women come, they are set in, the, in the, the, the framing of it. It's very much so a standard kind of melodrama, but it's doing something that those other films coming out that year were not doing. They were challenging the viewer at every turn and they were representing women in a very different nuanced way that no one else was. And this is something that I think it's the it's what then great directors like Asghar Farhadi have taken on and brought to new grounds. And I, I chose to mention Farhadi not just because, well, everybody would know him, is that he's a director that in many interviews early on has always given credit to people like Rashan Banyatamad and, and showed that he's learned from it. He's a, he's a director who started writing and directing in, in post 2000s. And he, he mentions very openly early on that how much he's learned from great films by Banyatamad. So when he's actually, he is giving as a filmmaker from a male filmmaker from that country is giving credit to those who should be given credit. It's interesting that then still critiques and scholars are not. And uh, I found that article that I had mentioned in the introduction quite, in fact, um, unsettling to, to kind of say that trying to kind of creating a binary out of Iranian cinema. Like I think no cinema should be looked at uh, in those terms. 
that um, kind of stripping everything, everybody down as if it's it's a uh, industry that produces one type of filmmaker only. And um, while again, I think um, when we are passionate about the filmmaker, we want to kind of highlight what they, their achievements are. And in that case, I understand it, uh, looking at the festival intakes, some of the uh, Farhodi's first films, especially uh, Separation, I believe is one of the first films that was collectively gone to a lot of festivals that it brings that side of Iran, or earlier, in fact, about Ali does that. That, um, and it, it, it's something that, again, for an Iranian audience, it wasn't even shocking. Many critiques in Iran were even shocked that how come that film was selected? It's not doing that much of a different thing. But later on, now we see he has a very strong kind of um, authorial hand that bringing and bringing suspense and um, the criticism on morality is something that is big, very big on his films, which then makes it unique to him. But the style of the film and the way um, certain social criticism are being dealt with is very much so built on the bricks that were laid for him in the 90s mm-hmm. um, to go on. So this is something that I find uh, and I hope younger uh, scholars out there who are uh, coming to Iran in cinema fresh, uh, it would be good to make sure to to have a chance to see some of these greater earlier films um, and and see what they've been doing that some of the more recent directors are bringing to greater grounds, but they're they're not coming fresh out of nowhere. There is there's a continuity that exists. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and but at the same time, I have to also say this: there is this that <laughs> for distributors out there, it's also because of access half of the time. So a lot of um, the the non-Persian speaking scholars writing on Iranian cinema only have access to films through festivals. Uh, through films that are distributed on DVDs and so on and so forth. So that's one of the things that it's not just, um, it's the, the, the way that their films are not being distributed or seen as much, uh, which kind of creates these holes and these gaps. Um, um, uh, for example, I don't know, like Artificial Eye that um, has distributed majority of Iranian independent cinema to for the English speaking audience, has not done that for any of the the female directors. Um, So why that is, that's a good question to be asked. But uh, I think now festivals have done their best. So I actually see a good change, at least since the 2010s, that pretty much a lot of the younger female directors who um, um, have been, their works have been shown across the world. Uh, but it's still, and, and those of us are trying to do retrospective for the earlier filmmakers like Fanny Atema. Yeah, um, you know, when, when you brought up Nichols in your work, I, um, when I was doing my PhD, my advisor would always say to us, because we were focusing on, um, you know, sort of the anthropology of filmmaking, and she would say, someone needs to do a dissertation on um, on the structures of film festivals and who are these folks who are bringing festivals in, or films into these festivals and, and what that means for um, what gets shown and what doesn't get shown. And Nichols was obviously something somebody that we read a lot. Um, and it is true, lately there have been a lot more female filmmakers that are being brought and shown, um, which is uh, uh, from Iran, which is very welcoming. Um, you know, the, you, um, you mentioned in, in your response right now about how important it is for Bani Atama to be um, making films um, that have for her and Tamina Minali and others that have a social impact within Iran. And she's quite famous, uh, Bani Atamad, for really insisting that her films get permission in Iran and that her primary audience is an Iranian audience in order to push conversations forward or to make some kind of social impact rather than her primary audience being a festival audience. Um, and um, and how she'll wait until she sort of gets those permissions and, and, and is able to, to, to screen her films, whether they're narrative or documentary. Um, and so as you're, you know, I, I, I had cut you off earlier when you wanted to sort of go into the details of her films, but can you, can you kind of link this to us? Like her, her, 
her desire to have these things be shown in Iran, along with um, the, the th types of films that she has made and, and the things that you think um, sort of stand out to you, both as a longtime um, sort of admirer and, and viewer of her films and, and, and also as a scholar of Iranian cinema. Yeah, um, I think, um, again, it's one of those um, things that um, something that it comes across, um, it's a term that has been used in, um, I guess, post 50s literature and, um, and, and then cinema in Iran. And, um, and I think, um, which is being a committed artist, whether you're an author, or a filmmaker in this case. And I think very much so Bani Etemad is someone who is committed to her art in a sense that her art has a purpose. So a lot of times she's talking about filmmaking as this is just, this is the pen I write with. This is just a device. And if I find another outlet that speaks better and reaches people better, I would have pursued that. So um, for her, it's, it, it's a means rather than um, like the, the form of her film is not just the exploration of form, it's the content that she wants to bring to her audience. And I think it's quite fascinating that um, what she has done, and this is something that I, I, I for, for this volume specifically, I went back and rewatched her her documentaries. And it was interesting because I already knew that I wanted to, to, to write about her documentary that's called Under the Skin of the City as well, uh, because that's a name that then she carries to this feature film, which is very uh, well known uh, Under the Skin of the City in a few years later to that. Um, and but in my surprise, when I went back to some of her earlier work, that's when I realized, oh, there is a pattern there. It's um, and who do you show these films to? There's it almost feels that we we talk about, um, for example, my colleague, um, like a, a few of the contributors have wrote about uh, the, the element of um, meta-cinematic, which uh, Zahra Khosrowshahi uh, brings in her chapter, as well as these kind of uh, tales within tales, uh, as well as the fact that her last feature film is called Tales, which brings anecdotes and elements from her earlier films. It's not just through that, it almost feels that she's had the same kind of argument and she's followed it and she's committed to it to make sure that those voices, those narratives have made it to the general audience. And, and until she's not satisfied, she has not left that topic or that story behind. And this is something that can be seen um, is that she is very much so concerned about the people in the peripheries especially people who come to the big cities for the hope of a better life. And this is something that uh, even her first kind of uh, one of the early documentaries about Tehran is, is kind of warning us to kind of think about this um, mega city is going to eat up these people and take away their individuality. And then in the film um, that it's, it's quite a brilliant reflexive film. I think any, any documentary film student should watch it. Who do you show these films to? It's such a good film that honest filmmaker is going out to make this film and very much so tells us as the narrative changes and involves us in the ups and downs that this filmmaker had to go through. And, and, and I think that style of it is quite, it's quite catching. Like her and her crew, as she mentions, um, with a 16 millimeter camera, were making another film. And then they realized there's this slum next door that was supposed to have been there temporary, but it's like six years on and people are still living in it, in those temporary accommodations. And then, then they find out she, once she's introduced those people and the way you see that people invite them, kind of drag them into kind of show. And um, in a way, almost kind of, um, to me shows that how much people actually trust in the media as well, because they feel that they know they're a crew from television, for example. So maybe some MP or someone will see it and respond to their needs. And, um, and then she is responsible because she knows the change is not gonna come that easily. 
and she stays on on her own good to make sure some of those people that have given their time at least she gives her time to them and and i i think that while it's very clear as a filmmaker her hand is tied to go and change their life completely because she does help um, plan city planning changes rules and help those people find permanent homes one way or another but at the same time it's not the outcome those people were hoping for but at the same time she while she wants to kind of show them that um, it's not in her um, hand to do that she wants to say that I didn't come and take your word and forget about it. She brings her half-made film back to those people and sits down and watches with them. And it almost feels like the satisfaction you see in those people's faces, that at least someone has listened to them. And they even comment on the fact that whether they were articulate or not, it's quite a touching moment of recognition. And, and um, so I think this whole idea of she wants people to be heard it's something that is very important. And then that you see those characters coming to her fiction, um, her film, The Blue Veiled, um, very much so has those people who live in those peripheries. And this young girl who, I mean, it's a love triangle and things change, but it is about one person who lives in the outskirts of a big city and is struggling to make ends meet. Um, her, her documentary under the, the skin of the uh, city is about addiction and the growing addiction in, in, in Iran and focusing on young people. Um, who, and, and, and that's something that, again, um, the story of addiction, it's always been in her films. You have uh, um, the mother character in The Blue Whale who is uh, addicted. You have, uh, even under the skin of the city, the film version has a character who um, are smuggling um, um, drugs, um, as, as well as then her later film, um, um, Khunbazi, uh, Bloodline, that um, is focused on someone who's going through uh, rehab. Um, it, and also, of course, in, in uh, the May Lady, there key characters that she comes across that are um, addicted. So this is one of those things I feel that there's certain topics that she has come across as a young filmmaker and she has stayed with them to kind of see how these develop. And so for me, that shows her commitment to her society, commitment to the people who give their time and heart in front of her camera. And she's trying at least as much as she can to give back to them by not forgetting them. It's one of those things that even though the open-ended sometimes stories, you could think they're happy end at the end of some of these films, she makes sure to come back to them to say that it's not that uh, always that happy. Uh, while I think her work and trajectory is not, it's very optimistic at the same time, it's criticizing the society. Um, sometimes one of the, her films that is the hardest for me to watch is Tales. Uh, those of you who might be um, uh, aware of it, it's a film that brings kind of vignettes of her earlier characters 15, 20 years later, and we see them where they are. And most of them are not in a situation we would like to find them uh, at the end of those, those uh, years. So that's the only film that I think has um, a degree of pessimism <laughs> in it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, what I like about it, the protagonist, which is um, Sara from that bloodline character, played by her wonderful uh, daughter, um, perfect actress, um, Baran Kosari, um, still when you read, when you listen to her dialogue, despite the whole narrative being quite pessimistic and kind of showing us the, the dark side of um, people's lives, there's still hope in it. There's still kind of, there's a degree of fight. Uh, and that to me in itself, it shows that um, while she might be towards the end of her career, seeing that um, a lot of those lives haven't gone in the direction she would have wished for them. But at the same time, she still has hope in the younger generations. And this is something, again, I think her um, one of her do political documentaries, if you like, um, Our Times, 
which is about the um, the the campaign for the second round of elections for um, Khatami is about that hope. <laughs> While a lot of us following that campaign, we knew um, a lot of people have lost their um, hope in what that second campaign, second round of presidency can bring. Um, there was still that hope, and it almost feels that prediction of what could have come if he would not get elected, which we then lived through um, a decade after, um, it is there as well. So there's there's that element of she has hope and she wants the better for the younger generation. She wants them to have a voice and she wants them to, um, as, as a teacher in a way, to help them grow uh, for, uh, for the next. So not just the filmmakers that's making a film, to do be successful at the festival, she she she's grateful of films that have been and her recognition across the globe, but at the same time, it is those um, individuals that she cares that if she can touch uh, or connect with a couple of them, that's what she cares about, and I think it's very clear in her films and her documentaries. Yeah, and you know this, um, it comes in some ways the way that she describes how she makes her films um you know she goes and she lives with folks who have for example for bloodline um uh folks who have uh, addiction or, or who are addicts and she she'll do it for like a month at a time she she tries to really immerse herself i mean in a way that i understand and it's very anthropological in a sense she does a lot of participant observation she she, she, the, and she says that, that the folks who end up in her narrative films are not just characters from a page that, and this is why they reappear, as you say, throughout her different films, because these are, they're taken as inspiration from people um, who are alive and who are going through these different trials and tribulations and also the hopes and, um, and, you know, uh, because of, of what I study, um, and I was looking so much at war films for so long. And um, I think there's no better war film or more impacting war film than Gilane, even though it's not necessarily, you know, in, in the official sort of uh, narrative of what war films are, it's not necessarily considered as such within Iran, but I think it's, it's this deeply impacting, um, incredible film. And she says herself about why she didn't want to make war films in the 1980s or even early 1990s because of that larger sort of um, industry, of state industry of making those films. But I know through, um, you know, when I was doing my research, I would see her a lot in spaces with different veterans. Um, and she was doing it out of her, her, her sense of social responsibility and, and humanity about what has happened to uh, people who have injured themselves, been injured in different ways on the war front. And then importantly, as I think she shows in Gilane, it's the entire community that surrounds them, that, that takes care of them and how um, these different types of things, whether it's war, whether it's addiction, whether it's you know political um, campaigning, whatever it is, these have social lives that are not just about when those things end on paper, but about how they continue for, for much longer. Um, and uh, and you really see this in her work, and it, it's coming across in a lot of what you're saying too. And it and for me, what's really fascinating is her when she you know in the past few years she's been making so many documentaries, and I've seen her show up at cinemas in Iran, Tehran, where these documentaries are being made, and she really lends her voice and her name to the issue that she is highlighting in these films. And in that way, she talks about herself as a social activist, not necessarily a political activist, but very much as a social activist. So I wanted to sort of ask you about both her process in the making of these films and, and her deep commitment to not just from the outside looking and then writing or looking and making, but really trying to go into the belly of, of what's going on, live it and then and then write it. And that's why I think her films are so impactful. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much, um, I, I completely agree with what you, you just said. And her social activism, I think it's something that, and, um, and her commitment to cinema, that's something that we know that the turbulent, 
uh, atmosphere of Iranian cinema in the past 20 years um, with the with the, the cinema union and, and the, the, the Fatch Film Festival and the conflicts that it's ongoing. Uh, but at the same time, I'm very grateful of figures like herself and um, other prominent filmmakers that no, no matter what, in, in, are always kind of stood there to have a presence in making sure that their version of um, um, contribution to the industry has stayed alive and not being pushed away. Uh, one of the fears that I always, whenever I hear, I think, um, boycotting this and boycotting that, it almost kind of makes me quite fearful because that might kind of open the arena, then someone completely takes over. And um, that kind of factionism that do exist within Iran, that good things pop up here and there, then would completely disappear. And people, figures like her, that are noted um, have lent good hand to that. And I think she has been working really hard uh, the past 20 years to, to make sure that she's endorsing other filmmakers. Um, I think her collaboration with uh, Mushtaba Mirtahmas in creating the Khorasan um, initiative was a very good way of kind of creating an independent kind of environment for younger filmmakers come together and make documentaries. Um, that in itself, I think it, it, it's showing her commitment to the industry and trying to help other uh, filmmakers, which we have brilliant um, filmmakers who probably would have be, become uh, wonderful filmmakers anyway. But it, it is nice to see that um, um, a prominent filmmaker is endorsing them uh, to, to, to take the center stage. Um, like, um, I think like Bar Navar as, as, a, as a great uh, documentary filmmaker is someone that I came across her work through the Khorasan Initiative and through Bani Etemod. And um, so you do see that and the support that she has for it. And, um, and also um, I wanted to kind of say that something that um, just go back quickly, to while we were talking about the Baniyatim um, not being recognized and not being given the space in scholarship, in English speaking scholarships specifically and film festivals, we should understand that that not necessarily is true within Iran. <laughs> Um, even her first film has won the uh, the Fatch Film Festival, Nargis, in 1992. The reason that that film is included in that series, at retrospective at uh, at the TIFF Film Festival, is because of that as well. So her, their films, is, interestingly enough, are uh, recognized, are seen. In fact, the, the growing number of female filmmakers, that's something is that um, whether all of them are being and their percentage is being recognized, that's something that someone needs to look into it further. But the, the, the first three directors who, who kind of established this in the 90s, they were quite well recognized. And a lot of other, um, so in Iran, I don't think there is that bias as much uh, within the industry itself um, like her, her name is equally standing next to other great directors. Um, it's only when it comes to the outside is something that all of a sudden women take the uh, not the center stage. And of course we can have these kind of um, cursory assumptions is that um, no matter what, uh, almost kind of an orientalist view of Iran or the oppressed Iran that you want to represent in the eighties and nineties, it's hard to believe a woman can do what she's doing so almost kind of the best thing sometimes because you don't know where to categorize them or where to put them is to not talk about them because if you do talk about them then all of a sudden he almost feels that how come <laughs> when we're struggling today at the oscars to make sure there's enough women filmmakers being recognized in 1991-92 an iranian director won the best award that country can offer there is those elements that um, doesn't really kind of fit the general specifications or general descriptions of Iran and how it's seen outside. And uh, I, I'm, I'm touching on in grounds that you know a lot better than me <laughs> about the, the politics <laughs> of it. But, but, but at the same time, this is something that's quite interesting and always has been fascinating for me that sometimes I just think many choose not to um, see them 
one of the best examples, it's a wonderful film. I love her works, Samira Mahmago's films, because if you think about it, the scholarship that Apple and then Blackboard has received is far greater. And, and mm -hmm. I, I love those work. They're wonderful uh, works, but they were not the first female directed films coming out of Iran. But the subject matters fit the certain uh, assumptions coming out of the country. And, and it feels like um, that they they fit the, the, the st stylistic films that you would expect coming out of Iran. So those films did better in the international arenas than Banyat Amod or Milanese films did. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Marianne, because, um, yeah, I, I think that one of the, the reasons I am always so perplexed is because Bania Tamad um, and, and other female filmmakers are actually, as you say, quite celebrated within Iran. Bania Tamad is, no, is seen as being one of the great filmmakers of Iran. And yet, as you're saying, they're not legible or in, in some ways outside because then it has then it, then we have to upend our own frameworks or analysis of what we think of as post-revolutionary Iran um, and post-revolutionary Iranian society because then someone like Abania Tumat doesn't fit into that. So then we just, you know, sitting from the outside, it, um, we just ignore it. And and that, that's why I'm so grateful for your work and and those of the folks that you bring into this book because you all are saying, no, let's contend with this and let's contend with how her filmmaking is and um, is not only great filmmaking as filmmaking, but also is, um, you know, so uh, well received within the country and society in which she is making those films for. She is speaking to her society and she is speaking from her society. And so I want to, in the few minutes we have left, um, ask you about, um, and I wish we could, this conversation could go on, but I want to ask you about the um, the chapter, how you set this book up, the folks that you um, involve in writing the chapters of this book, and and um, and the topics that they touch upon. I love the the breadth of scholarship in this book and the different. You, I think you made a very conscious decision, and correct me if I'm wrong, to have different generations, to have folks who are approaching the study of films from different perspectives and different disciplines. Um, so if you could just sort of take us behind the scenes and how you were thinking about this and, and what does, you know, what are the other sections of this book about? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, you're being very generous, but I, I'm also very honored with, uh, about the wonderful contributions of all the colleagues and friends that contributed to this book. Um, I mean, the, the, the initial steps was the, um, that I, before I actually approached to, um, to write and finalize the uh, proposal to send to the university, Edinburgh University Press, I, I contacted a few of colleagues who are, their works are in the book to make sure because they were people who I knew have worked in the past uh, on Banietta Mod one way or another or are very well versed in Banietta Mod's work. And once I had a kind of a handful of names that potentially told me that they, are, uh, they would happily contribute uh, to this and they think, yes, this is a necessary book. When, when it was proposed, uh, then it, it had a call for paper and I really wanted to make sure, as you say, that there is voices from people who have been working and been involved in uh, Iranian cinema scholarship for years, as well as the younger um, academics, early career academics that are bringing fresh uh, point of views. It's it's a lot. It's interesting for me that someone who. Um, perhaps uh, because there is a few scholars who um, like myself are, are living in diaspora so they have a personal connection with the society as well but they come from a different generation so even that in itself I think it's quite interesting because it brings a very different perspective uh, to the table and um, so th that that was a conscious decision and I'm, I'm honored to to say that is I managed <laughs> to do this. And of course, there's a, a lot, a few uh, colleagues that their names are missing there, but due to personal commitments at the time, they couldn't contribute um, to the work. But, uh, but this, 
the way it was, I just wanted to also make sure something that I was really hoping to. And at first it felt like a more of a struggle, but then I also focused my work on onto focusing on her documentaries. I still think there's, first of all, Iranian cinema, while we think there's a lot being written on it, there's still a wealth of films out there that have not been studied in detail. Um, so it, it, at first it was a bit more of a, a challenge to find people who would want to work on um, the documentary section. And I would like to kind of thank, now that I have this space, uh, both uh, Fatima Mehrkhan Salar uh, and Bahar Abdi, who were uh, all students of mine who um, ha have took on this <laughs> challenge to work with me on this uh, to create that section because I, I did not want to make a, um, a film um, a kind of retrospective on Banyeta Maud that did not include um, at least some in-depth uh, analysis of her documentaries. Um, as you know, in, in the world, we in the scholarship, I was very conscious about this, that when this book comes out for a few years, this might mean that no other book can come out until um, there's some time has passed. So I, I was conscious that we can give the breadths we can to it. So that, that created that the final section about the fact fiction um, and society and her relationship her, of her documentaries. Um, one, one section which could not have not existed in the book, which is part three, it's that uh, which is entitled Gender, Love and Sexuality. Um, it's the topics that um, in any other scholarship up to this day, probably those were the topics that she's been put in the context of women filmmakers and looking at representation of women. This is something I had done myself in the past and a few other uh, scholars. So we needed to make sure that um, that conversation and the early readings of her book carry on into more updated version. And that is the, the largest section um, of uh, the book um, that you have a, a wonderful um, um, a chapter by uh, Rosa Holman who looks at the, the male desire and subjectivity in, in her work and the way um, the, the voiceover and enunciation works. And that really complements the wonderful work that Professor Laudan Nushin has put together um, entitled The Affective Listening, A Sonnet Intimacy and the Power of Quiet Voices in Bani Etemod's films, especially The May Lady. Um, which she comes from a very kind of unique uh, perspective of how sound in film works. And, and those of us who work in Iran in cinema, we know actually sound it, is, it, is a, um, a discipline or area that very little attention has been given to it. So I think that, um, um, that chapter is very unique in terms of what it offers. Um, and then um, you have uh, kind of the semiotic analysis of, uh, offered by Asal Bogheri, um, looking at the masculinities in, in her work by Nina Khamsi, um, as well as um, it, this is the, the area that I wish there were more work on, um, doing a transnational reading, a comparative reading of Bani Atemot and a Chinese uh, filmmaker of the fourth generation uh, and looking at the mother figure and how it's represented in these two different societies by uh, Yun Zihan, which I think uh, while um, uh, at some point I might have thought that like it would have needed its own section, but still it, it works really well alongside uh, the other works that are on that um, question of gender. And um, the, the book starts with a section of on aesthetics, politics and narrative structure. And I really, again, um, that was very important to me to kind of make sure that that first section offers that new reading and a new perspective on her work. And not just looking at her film within the, um, the kind of frame of gender studies or women works, which that is the area that there's wealth 
on. And um, I was so pleased to, as I mentioned earlier as well, that uh, Farshid Zahidi um, um, accept, um, offered a very unique um, analysis of her first works, the, the works that I believe up to this day probably only had one paragraph or two paragraphs mentioning them in all the other works on Bani Etemot. So going actually looking at it, that how what he calls like from black comedy to social realism connects those three early works to where, what, where we know Bani Atemot has gone. Um, and then um, you have the wonderful kind of theoretically um, um, in rich work by Matthias Whitman um, uh, about under the skin of society that situates and contextualize um, Bani Atemot's work in the social history of post-revolution Iran. I think that's a very kind of um, grounding work that really well uh, connects Banyat and with its society uh, that is made. Um, and then you have the brilliant work with uh, uh, by Michelle Langford on the cinematic divan, which uh, what I love about this chapter is that kind of bringing kind of um, marrying like Eastern theory into um, what, what Persian poetry does and bringing it into Bani Atemot's work and aesthetic, which helps us uh, understand the, the, the aesthetics of her work that goes beyond just social criticism, um, which again complements really well with Zahra Khosrowshahi's paper, um, which looks at the meta cinematics in, in her work and the way the tales within tales are told uh, within her work that all link them all back together. So these three sections, one is trying to bring the usual suspects, the topics we know and uh, have seen being discussed around Bani Atemot's work, but bringing them to new grounds, bringing some um, uh, initial investigation in her documentaries. I hope other scholars take it further and go in a lot more in depth than what we could offer here, as well as looking at her work from a kind of a film studies perspective, film as a film and their aesthetic and how the narrative structure help deliver what the intention of the filmmaker was. <laughs> I hope this. That's covers. amazing. Thank you. And, you know, un unfortunately, we're out of time. But what I do want to say for everyone watching is that those of you who are at Johns Hopkins, we now have your book at the library um, and it's available for everyone um, who who's able to access our libraries. And for those of you who are watching at different universities, I highly recommend check your library. If it's not there, ask your librarians to purchase um, this great book, because I, I really before we end, end the session, just want to thank you, Marianne, for putting this together because what you're doing is um, bringing the importance of Rakhshan Bani Atimad's work to an English speaking audience. And it's a work that's going to live on for, for a very long time. And I think is going to hopefully um, make folks who study Iranian cinema or study Iran and have not had the privilege of watching uh, Rakhshan Bani Atimad's work to, to pay attention to it and to understand how incredibly vital it is in our understanding of cinema and cinematic history writ large and on an international stage, but also everything that's gone on in Iran in the post-revolutionary sphere. Um, so I really wanna thank you for, for this work and for joining us and having this conversation. And um, we're gonna have you on again. And, and I really encourage everyone who's watching to, to, to get this book and, and, to, to, and to watch Rakshamani and Tumad's movies if you haven't, because they're absolutely incredible.